0: This morning, as we are continuing our Sermon on the Mount series, and we're focusing on Beatitude number six, verse eight Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In each week, as I bring this idea of a progression and an interrelation, I think we need to be mindful about the supernatural side of the Sermon on the Mount. It is not just a moral teaching. It is the work of God and grace that Jesus is explaining to to the kingdom people, uh, Christ followers, believers in Christ. But in, in a way that if you look at even the original text, and there is no verb so the the words are so few and packed with spiritual uh, truth and then some uh, liberal theologians and the scholars will say you are actually spiritualizing too much things here in a way that i have a compassion for that approach because in a on a standing on the mountain uh, on a hill that Jesus is teaching, it will be very um, natural and clear for the people to hear hear that but this the very word of God revealed in god 's written word is not just for them but for the rest of the generations to come, and it is this really incredibly insightful sanctification process. As I mentioned before, this Sermon on the Mount, especially the Beatitude, rocked my world when I really thought about and meditate on this. And I honestly, deeply believe that it could change each one of us. It could change our church. But there is a little caveat. Although this is a not a prescription, but the description of kingdom people, kingdom citizens in God's kingdom. And it is a work of God and work of grace. This has a strong taste of spiritual test, whether one is real Christian or not. And this past week, First John was grueling in terms of the clarity of Apostle John coming out and saying, you belong to the devil or you belong to the Father God. You have God's seed or you have seed of the evil one. So it's really clear. But Jesus, in, in some sense, Jesus' is teaching and these eight verses are so challenging to us. So let's take a look at it that way. Eight beatitudes are portrait of kingdom citizens, and I would even clarify true Christians. If one really belongs to to God as the king and the savior and, and the Lord of that person, a true Christian beatitude number one is poor in spirit and purging self-righteousness. Be at it number two, a true Christian mourns over sin, purging unrepentance. Number three, a true Christian is meek, purging prideful, stubborn self. And so far these are Faces of false righteousness. When the false righteousness is purged, we have a new hunger. Number four, a true Christian hungers and thirsts for righteousness, purging false cravings. And as I mentioned before, and starting with Beatitude number five, now it's a feeling process. A true Christian is merciful receiving mercy from God it's not actually one who is mercy earns the right to receive mercy from God as one who shows mercy shows a sign of having received mercy of God and continue receiving and today we're focusing on beat number six A true Christian is pure in heart and receiving spiritual sight from the Holy Spirit. We'll find out more about what that is all about. Number seven is a true Christian is a peacemaker receiving reconciliation from Christ. And number eight, true Christian is persecuted for righteousness' sake Receiving passion for true righteousness. A couple more things as we continue on. And some of you are shaken, in a good sense. I think we should really think about the um, superficiality of the Christianity in America nowadays. So it, it's really a good idea to welcome the word of God through the beatitude challenge to examine whether we we are in the faith or not. But a couple of things that we need to be careful about is that no one is perfect except Jesus himself. We are to become more like Christ through the beatitude, the sanctification process. So unless you have no desire whatsoever each one of them that you are in the process of sanctification but I want to also emphasize if you never felt that you have no need to purge your self-righteousness, self right reliance, you ought to check whether you really are Christian and the same thing last week, when, whether you really struggle with forgiving someone and being merciful to someone Is a secondary matter. But if you are so fine, stubbornly, holding on to grudges and the people who have harmed you or offended in any way, that you think that it's a right and you don't care what the scripture says, you ought to ask yourself whether you are really in the faith. Another thing. We should not take a look at the beatitude as a linear process, as if you're step number one, step number two, you graduate from that. We're actually going, it's a real life. A messy spirituality is basically going around this process over and over. And through that, we become mature. And the mature people in Christ will show deeper signs of each quality. So even today, as we're thinking about the pure in heart, let me tell you right off that no one is pure in heart except Jesus Christ. So if there's an impurity is always there. But if you don't have any desire for the purity of heart, you ought to challenge yourself whether you are really in the faith, whether your salvation is genuine. But at the same time, let me give you a comforting thought for us. If you are aching and become keenly aware of your impurity in your heart, that is a sign that you are a Christian. It's kind of a little strange to think about that. Oh, I, I need to be pure in heart. In order, to, in order to validify that I am a true kingdom citizen. But in yet, because the sanctification process is continuing, we will never become perfectly, 100% pure in heart until we get to heaven, until we see Jesus face to face. In the meantime, there is a groaning going on. And if you If you do have a groaning in your heart and become aware of, even at the best days, I don't really have a pure and purest motivation and motives in my heart. And God's grace is upon you. Holy Spirit is working within you and me. So let's start right away. What does it mean to be pure in heart? In Western thought, heart has a lot to do with feelings. Don't try to think with your mind. Think with your, feel the things through your heart, meaning feelings. The biblical concept of heart is vastly different from that. It's not just merely referring to the seat of emotion, but seat of What person makes are three things. Intellect, emotion, and volition. Will. Those three things make up what person, a personhood, looks like. So in other words, this heart idea is very similar to the spirit. Your spirit. When, When you die physically, your spirit is separated from the body. But that body... Is empty shell you know, in a sense. The real inner person is the heart, is the soul, is the spirit. So the pure in heart doesn't mean that you have just nice, impure, naive feelings all the time. A pure in heart means much more than that. And I'm going to present three words, key words, to describe what purity in heart looks like. First one is, a a pure in heart, a pure heart is a sincere heart, having no guile or duplicity to hide. Sincerity is the first word. 1 Peter 1.22 says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Sincere brotherly love means don't act like you love the person, but inside you don't. There is a duplicity going on. And actually, the hypocrisy is all about that. One writer insightfully said the hypocritical people are, tend to be highly moral people, successful people. Why? By that facade, they could hide behind. And no wonder even the religious leaders and prominent spiritual leaders fall. Of course, there's an evil one who's attacking the church, and the spiritual leaders. But we need to think about this idea of having no guile, no duplicity. I have um, some of my friends who used to be in my youth group years ago. And they have grown up and uh, they're not, I mean, they're in their 40s, early 40s. And I still remember my heart aching about the stories that they're telling me after visiting Asia. And not only is it a motherland uh, cultural experience, but also a spiritually shocking experience. Because of drinking culture, many of his friends and relatives took them out to uh, drinking places, dinner and drinking. and he felt so refreshed by their no guileness, I mean by their guilelessness, by being so honest and upfront and straightforward, and no hiding anything. And he said, basically, when, when I meet up and hang out with my Christian friends, there's always this uh, obscure things going around, but they were admitting so clearly with, in a sense no shame. But one thing is so clear. Or maybe alcohol will, might have helped a little bit. But they're brutally honest, and they're nowhere hiding it whatsoever. And they came back with this shaken idea of maybe I need to be real. And I told them, you could continue to be real and stop drinking. Drinking is the, the excuse for you. Because <laughs> what, what do they do? They usually have a one, one sip of the drink, and they start opening up, right? As if it affected, no, it takes time. <laughs> but it's just mere excuse. but sincerity. Christians need to be careful about this. The Pharisees were called by Jesus, not only hypocrites, but he called them, you whitewashed tombs. We love Europe these days, right? Many of you went to Greece. And just imagine, the calendar looked like the Christmas uh, uh, Sky, um, blue sky, cobalt color sky, and then you see the you see those sea, ocean, and beach, and then these white houses. Nicely, even whiter than these walls. That's what Jesus is talking about. Jewish tombs were painted with this white paste. To make sure that it, appearance looks good, but what 's in the inside of tomb decaying body, a smelling stench of deadness that 's what Jesus is talking about let 's be real let 's be honest, but it is not just a throwing all the guts out in front of everyone, and that will be such wrong idea because the second idea will Um, introduces the right path for us but before that I love J.B. Phillips before Eugene Peterson came up with this message J.B. Phillips in 70's I think paraphrased the New Testament and there's a lot of insight in that paraphrase and he paraphrases Matthew 5.8 today's verse this way happy are They're utterly sincere for they will see God. But the purity is more than that. A non-believer might be utterly honest and guileless in some sense, but they don't have a purity in terms of holiness. A pure heart secondly is a cleansed heart, clean from defilement and sin which is The holiness. And as I mentioned, the filling process begins with two most important attributes of God. One is love and one is holiness. One is, the mercy is a side of love that God shows us. When you're described in God, God is merciful. When we become merciful, we become more like God. And the holiness is one that Jesus was, so concerned about and it would be so good to, to know that um, easier to know if Jesus said blessed are the pure for they shall see God because the outward appearance you could look pure but in heart what does in heart implies here these are the words that Jesus actually spoke to the scribes and Pharisees. Matthew 23, verse 25 to 28. A little bit of a clarity that Jesus brings. Verse 25 Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. So you may also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Without holiness, the inner cleansing, there is no pure heart. Hebrews 12 verse 14, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see The Lord. Martin Lloyd-Jones. His paraphrase for today's verse is, Blessed are those who are pure, not merely on the surface, but in the center of their being and and at the source of every activity. I'll elaborate on this. I want to hint a little bit. Remember the interrelation is the first four affects the latter four. Beatitude number one affects number five. And today, Beatitude number six is affected by Beatitude number two, which is mourning over sin. Think about why third characteristic of pure, pure heart is un, undivided heart which means unmixed with any other motives or devotions single mindedness soren kierkegaard from which from whose word name i got my first son's name soren has a book very famous book entitled purity in heart is to will one thing. There's such a great wisdom in that. Purity of heart is to will one thing. And for Soren Kierkegaard, it was the will of God. See, the idea of purity is not just a sincere, but clean, but also undivided. This idea of a single-mindedness. James 4 verse 4 and 8 brings out even more clearly. Verse 4 says, You adulterous people Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? and Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. The curse of the day... Is the word end. It's not my idea. Nineteen uh, thirties and forties, A. W. Tozer said it. Do you remember Psalm sixty two? My soul waits for silence for God alone. The the idea of continually repeating God alone, alone. You alone are my hope, but Americans, we love to seek God and my career. We love to seek God and the success of my children. We seek God and materialistic prosperity. The single-mindedness is heart that is focused on one and one thing only. It is a growing intensity and passion and deep realization that nothing compares to to knowing God and to belong to God's kingdom, that blessing supersedes and surpasses every other good things around us. I know some of you are saying, "Paul, I, the sincerity, I'm not there. That hurts." I'm not sure I have hope. And believe me, I was there pre- preparing for this message. But the, my encouragement to you is that as we are becoming real and drawing near to God, He will draw near to He will become real to us. In order for us to taste the real kingdom and real joy, we need to stop turning away our face from the real things. It might shake us a little bit. So whenever we think like that, that's too conceptual. So let's look at the real person whose heart was pure in heart, in real life. And none other than King David. Now now we're a little more comfortable... At least some of the grossome sins that he committed. And some of us are free from that. Actually, maybe in heart we might commit it for murder and adultery and conspiracy. All that sin disdained it. this man after God's own heart, King David. Verse Uh, Psalm 51 verse 1 through 12 kind of shows what real person with a pure in heart looks like. Remember this is the Psalm, repentant penitent Psalm when Nathan the prophet pointed his long finger at him and said you are the one who committed the same crime. The idea of this neighbor taking away the ewe lamb, the baby lamb, who was not only just one of his property, but became like a pet. But he didn't want to use his lambs and sheep to feed and to, to show hospitality his to his guests. So he took the ewe lamb. And obviously, having been a shepherd, all his life, David was furious. This man ought to, surely ought to die. And that's the, the time Nathan pointed that you are the man. And he wrote this psalm, penitent psalm. Verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me through from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sins for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment behold I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me? Behold, you delight in the truth in the inner, in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones of you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. At least four things. Do you see here? I I feel so comforted by knowing that God's mercy can cover multitude of sins and any sins. There is no sin that is bigger. The blood of Jesus cannot cover. The first thing that David does, as a person who's seeking to be pure in heart, approach God's mercy on him. In verse 1, what does it look like? Poor in spirit. Number 2, he confesses his sin without hiding. Sincerity shows up. And this is a mourning over sin. And seeking the truth. Number 3, in in his innermost being. Uh, ESV called it the inward being. which means single-mindedness. Let me be very clear about this. I'm a beggar who's telling where I got the bread, and this is not a theoretical thing. Sometimes when I become sincere and honest, the things that I hide away and run away from haunt me, and I finally sit before God. Sometimes it's a formal solitude and silence. Sometimes it's a Starbucks. Any kind of hideout place for me. And then God reveals me. You know what I do? I I usually take out my journal. And said, um, that person who committed, uh, who were rationalizing sins, Lord, that's me, I admit. But that is also another person would long to be holy. Who want long to please you? With through my obedience, that's me. The cab is too too far, and I don't even I can't even control control my feelings. I can't even trust my feelings. So what is a is single-mindedness? What is truth in the inward being? It has a lot to do with where you have not only the feelings and, and intellect, but your will, your volition. So I write this. Let me confess right now, even if I feel differently weeks ago, weeks later, this is the truth in my innermost being. I want to turn away from this hypocrisy. I want to turn away from this self-centeredness. Save me, O God. Mourning for my sin. What does God do? Not because I credited merited, but because the blood of Jesus, grace of God overflows on me and I'm clean, white as snow. That is the power of grace. There are so many Christians who're trying to get well before they get to hospital to, to see the doctors. The great physician, Jesus, is waiting to heal us, to forgive us, to make our scarlet color sin to white as snow. Only we give our heart and surrender our heart. And let's take a look at the blessing for the pure in heart. This is problematic as well, because when you think about blessing, is a they shall see God. Um, the greatest ultimate honor of humankind throughout the church history is to see God, visio Dei vision of God but we are walking through the exodus in our home growth studies as well right in few uh, chapters we will find out Moses pleading with God show me your glory show me your face to me and God Said, you can't. I'll show you my back. And when I pass by, you will see the back. But you shall not see my face and alive. Isn't it incredible that even sight of the backside of God, when Moses came down, his face was glowing beaming the light from the glory of God indirect glory of God the people were feared and they couldn't look at Moses and even come near to him so his face has to be had to be veiled when he was with the people and when he meets with God he will take off the veil to go see God again but the blessing is this The very thing that was denied to Moses, the man of God, who led 1.5 to 2 million, the people of God through the wilderness, the man of faith and man who is the meekest man on the face of the earth. By grace, he will show his face to us. First John chapter three verse two to three, beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. The glorious hope. And this is really the Christian faith and reality of what we really believe. And someday we will see Jesus face to face. Someday we will see in the presence of God and, and his glory will be fully exposed to us without killing us because of his son. And his son is a mediator. And for us, that split second of that visual, uh, the spiritual sight, will equate every little thing and big thing that we went through as a suffering, as a victimization, and whatever that might be. Sins done to us, sin we have done to ourselves, the systemic evil, the whole world. Everything will be justified, equated. Oh, what a glorious day they will be. But let me also urge us to think rightly about God. God is not like men. God doesn't have a physical body and form, although the Son of God and second second person of Trinity, Jesus' had body. Then we will see Jesus in a glorious form, like the Transfiguration Mountain. And furthermore, but let me think about, let's think about this, the idea of God is spirit. God is not something that we see with our physical sight. It is actually spiritual sight. So therefore, just because we want to see God with our physical effort, there's no way we could see God unless the touch of God and grace of God opens the eyes of our heart. So in that sense, we could see God today and day after day this is the continuing idea of a beatitude blessing. Taste now, consume later. The kingdom of God is here right now, right here. But not yet, fully. So in, in, in this sense, we could see God right now. To know and taste the glorious attributes and presence of God so when, when King David is saying your face shall I seek God doesn't have a face but God's attributes God's loving kindness His steadfast love and his patience his holiness his love and his mercy his patience become so real then it becomes, just blows your mind in a way. And I'm going to just take risk to say some things that will encourage you, but there is a little risk is that some people can become complacent because of this. If you have been born again, you have received the spiritual sight from god from the spirit unless he opens up your spiritual eyes you will not see your depravity and need for salvation you will not see the need for a savior and you will not surrender your heart so that jesus becomes your king in your heart and that process of opening your eyes is actually part of experiencing and seeing God. But today, we could continually go on and on without seeing God and experiencing His attributes relationally. It becomes a very distant uh, pantheistic God who is different, indifferent. But don't you love the hymns that kind of excuse the intimacy and the reality of Christian faith that God gives us through grace and he walks with me and talks with me and he tells me that I am his own and the joy we tarry and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has known I come to the garden of. It's a quiet time. becomes mere homework. And we should wake ourselves up. Lord, open my eyes that I may see you. That I may see wonderful things in your, in your word. And when you go to park and extend the time of God. And God, meet with me. Refresh my soul. My thirst is panting for my thirst for you. Psalm 36 7 through 9. How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the river of your delights for with you is the fountain of life and your light do we see light. So I want to conclude four practical ways. Once again, it is not because we, we do these things to be, in order to become saved, but because we are touched by the grace of God. We ought to live as the kingdom says in today, continue to grow in spirit, and furthermore, and for above all things, enjoy what is available for us through grace. Number one, these are all means of grace. We could become pure in heart through mourning over sin. Do you see now? How do we become cleansed in our heart and sincere and become undivided in our heart? Not by human effort lest we become more prideful and more self-righteous. The key is going to God who is full of mercy and grace and mourn over our sin. And as we are mourning over our sin, His grace flow. Jerry Bridges um, writes very insightful words, poignant words here. He writes, So often when we sin, we are more vexed at lowering our self-esteem then we are grieved at God's dishonor. We are irritated at our lack of self-control in subjecting ourselves to some unworthy habit. And God does not honor these self-centered desires. This is one reason we do not experience more of his enabling power in our day-to-day struggles with so-called besetting sins. God does not give us power so that we can feel good about ourselves. He gives us his power so that we can obey him for his sake, for his glory. Amen. Amen to that. This is what God-centered looks like. Going to mourning over sin is not because we want to feel better quickly, but because our desire to please him and our happiest and joyest. State is we when we are in the nucleus of God's will, God's righteousness. He will cleanse us. He will purify our motive. Going to going back to my journal thing. The reason why I cannot show my journal, the recent ones at least, the the old ones at twenty some years ago. Kate can look through it. I don't care. But right now, this is too vulnerable for Kate to look at anything. Even though, uh, sometimes she, I think she looks at someone. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I write. This is what I write. And if you think that your pastor, well-meaning pastor, is always pure in motive, you are absolutely wrong. Jeremiah 79 says, the heart is Desperately sick and wicked. Who could understand it? I can't even understand it myself. So what do I do? The solution is not <laughs> arriving and accomplishing my purest state. solution is the other way around. Admitting, acknowledging, looking back, and looking down on how low I am, and admitting my sinfulness, my depravity before God. And this is what I do. God, I have this ulterior motive. I have this ulterior motive. I have this ulterior motive even when I'm preaching. I want to look good. And when I make mistakes in my some pronunciation, my kids make fun of me. My, my obviously did my congregation will make fun of me behind my back. <laughs> oh, So why does it matter God? Uh, free me. This is what I do. Here I can't do it. You take it. At least for now the innermost tr- truth in a, my innermost being is that I don't want these. God purifies. Cleanses us. And makes our heart one united heart. Through grace and grace alone. Rather quickly. Three more. Uh, Second is through trials of life. And Job 23 verse 10. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me. I shall come out as gold. This is one of the reasons why. James. Urges us to consider. Trials in, honor, trials in our various of trials in our lives. Pure joy. Why? Because things that we cannot do on our physical, personal effort, God's heavy hand is doing it. Our pride is just broken down. Our self-reliance is To the bottom, there's nothing that we could hold on to. We have to rely on our people, our brothers and sisters, and to God, when you're going through the trials. That is a gift. So, some of you, my brother, sister, you're having a hard time these days? Life is hard. Something very difficult happening in your life. I feel for you. But I pray that the Holy Spirit will open the eyes of your heart to see what God is doing with merciful heart, with steadfast love, that he may draw you closer, that you don't give up on him because of good things in your life. Our hearts are purified through trials. Number three, through the word of God, I kind of alluded to that already. In Psalm 119 and 11, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. And then he says, I have stored up your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. And go to God. God's word has a purifying power. It becomes a mirror in our daily lives. Number four and final, and through a spiritual community. So notice that Paul's uh charge for young Timothy, spiritual leader, is very straightforward about that Christian life is not a independent lone ranger life. 2 Timothy 2 says so flee youthful passions. That youthful passion is not just a sexual lust. All kinds of wrong, false cravings that will hinder us to hunger and thirst for righteousness pursue righteousness faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the name call on the Lord from a pure heart oh this is a beautiful thing about our not only our home group community but the very, basically the men's group and women's group the community designed for this thing and I'm, I'm so glad that many of you are, have opened up your baggages and your very difficult things. And I know it's not easy. Sometimes some people annoy you. Some people disregard you. But as a community, we look at the same brothers and sisters who call the name of the Lord and pursue righteousness and, and holiness together. It is a powerful thing. I conclude with the song, the lyric of song that we just sang a few minutes ago, because the idea of a pure heart is undivided passion, right? Candy Pearson, 2000, I think it's a passion record. I, 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 I had to look through it, and and then you could listen to it on YouTube. And things are so. Uh, available these days, not only uh, Spotify. She writes, Give me one pure and holy passion. Give me one magnificent obsession. Give me one glorious ambition for my life to know and to follow hard after you. Lord, to know and follow hard after you to grow as your disciple in your truth. This world is empty, pale, and poor compared to knowing you, my Lord. Lead me on, and I'll run after you. Lead me on, I will run after you. May that be our prayer, our earnest prayer today and this coming week. Let's pray. Father you see our impure heart you see our dirty heart you see our divided heart and by your grace and the blood of Jesus O Lord cleanse us and give us one holy passion run after you and I pray that you will change our church as well as each one of us individually we want to be marked by the people who are affected by the sight of God not physically but reality of experiencing the attributes and presence of the Lord in our lives I pray especially for those brothers and sisters who are going through trials and difficult time and even some doubts and I pray that you will mercifully touch their eyes to be open let the river flow river of your grace and mercy We belong to you. We love you. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.